I wanted to uh, first start off by asking you guys a question and go ahead and just shout out. I want to I want to basically say some characters from the Bible and then have you guys shout out the first word that comes to your head. There's no wrong answer, um, but if you can just either in your head or shout out the first word that comes to you when I say the name of this Bible character. So here we go. You ready? All right. So I'll, do, I'll pick an easy one. Hopefully this is an easy one. Solomon. Wisdom. Okay, that's mostly would say wisdom. If you didn't say wisdom, you're okay. Again, you can still shout out things. You're not disqualified. Okay. Samson. Okay, yes. Okay, Sipley family, right? Okay. Uh, Moses. Hmm. Red Sea. Lawgiver, maybe? Okay. Uh, here we go. Jezebel. Evil woman. She's just an evil woman. Uh, David. King. Conqueror. Uh, sounds like. Three syllables. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jesus. Jesus. Savior is a good one. Uh, good. Okay. You all shouted at once, so I didn't hear. I'm sorry. Okay. Thomas. Doubter. Poor guy. <laughs> hey, Thomas. Nice to get to heaven. Doubter. You're Thomas Doubter? No, that's not actually my last name. But uh, All right. Gideon. Hmm. Fleece. Okay, that's the first thing that would probably come to my mind. But he's also a doubter. And uh, we'll find out a little bit more about it because that's our passage today. We're going to read uh, from Gideon, in Gideon's life and how he got his ministry got started. But the title of this message, it's a bit of a, lo a loaded question. It's Use Me, Lord. Boom. There you go. All right. Use Me, Lord? Question mark. So really it's saying, can the Lord use me? If it were a prayer for your life, there's kind of that added fear that God actually may use you for something. And it might be more than what you had intended or expected. That's always was my fear. Is if, you know, if you start praying, if you really start praying and be honest with your prayers, God will actually may take you up on the offer and actually use you. And uh, it's a scary, it can be a scary thing. So will God, would he send you like a plethora of divine appointments? Would he, uh, would he have, will you have the boldness to share if somebody, if he were to send you a bunch of people your way? Or do you ever think to yourself, will he send you out on some missionary journey to some tribe in some unknown country and uh, in a hostile environment where they're shooting arrows at you or whatever? I don't know if they're shooting arrows, but anyway. Um, will he use me to conquer the enemy? Conquer the enemy by sharing your faith because we know that when we share our faith, we're going out into enemy territories and the uh, enemy is shooting darts at us, and we have to have our, our, uh, our, 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 our total body equipped with the shield of faith and with the armor of God, right? So it's similar to where we're in our passage now with Pastor Blake, and that is with David and Goliath. You have this unknown teenager against this gigantic guy, and it looked like there was going to be a slaughter. But I love how Pastor Blake, I kind of, this is my takeaway from when Pastor Blake was talking about that it says that Samson was, well, I'm sorry, not Samson, but um, um, he was the, the, the champion 
um, Goliath was the champion. And really what that means is he was their go-between, between the, the Philistines and, and the armies of the Lord. He was the guy that was going to fight, and they made the deal, if you beat me, you can have every, you, you basically win the war. If you don't beat me, you become our servants, and it goes the other way around. So it's really a, a great picture of uh, how God, um, we, we can ask God to make us his champion, and we can stand in the gap for him. So really it's, uh, we are called to be God's royal priesthood, his chosen people. We're called to stand in the gap for the Lord here on earth uh, in intercession prayer or different things like that. But it's, easily to, it's easy to develop this fear of man for all of us, including myself, when you step out into the, in faith into that. God has chosen you and I to be that champion, and we are to imitate Jesus. Uh, we need to be willing to stand in the gap for him. Uh, in John 13, 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So he chose us. We didn't choose, I mean, he chose us for his team. All right? We didn't have a, a choice on it. He's chosen us. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to pray for the passage here as we get into it. So let's, uh, if you would, join me in prayer real quick here. Thank you, Lord, for this morning and for, again, another day we can come into your presence, into your house with your people, brothers and sisters, to worship you, to honor you with our lives. We know that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. You have chosen us for a purpose. No matter how big or small, Lord, you have designed your plan to use us in this world. And we may think sometimes it may be very little, but in your eyes, it's great. Uh, Lord, we pray for those that are affected by the hurricane as well and the storm that came through, and that you would uh, send aid to them, that above all, that uh, you would provide to them a way of salvation through your people. Uh, we pray that lives would get saved uh, we know this body will eventually die, all of us, but we know that uh, the soul lives forever and you want hearts turned to you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, comfort these people with your love, send people to them. We pray for Pastor Blake and Julie. Thank you for them, for their faithfulness to this congregation, bringing your word every week. We pray that you just give them a good time away, that they have a good vacation and uh, that you bring them home safely and pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it seems that throughout the Bible, God chooses the most unlikely characters to represent him, to carry out his plans. But uh, most of us can identify the humanity with these people. As we're reading through Scripture and we see the characters in the Bible, we see their humanity, we see their faults, Every character in the Bible has their faults, and the Bible doesn't cover them up. It makes it clear that they had problems. We all have problems, and God can use us despite our problems, despite who we think we are or all the problems we have. And you kind of say to yourself sometimes, well, God could never use me in, where, in the station that I am in life. There's no way he could use me because I'm just, I don't feel 
this like epic calling in my life? Well, um, you look at the life of Abraham, Moses, David, and the apostles. You look at these guys, and you look how they're at their faults, and their and how God really saw them when they first started off in ministry or later on in ministry. And it's not a pretty picture. So let me go over a few of the names here. Abraham, he was impatient, fearful. He had a tendency of lying under pressure. Moses was a quick-tempered murderer who refused the call of God, and it was probably mainly because of his speech impediment. Couldn't really talk that well. David was a murdering adulterer and a bad father. We pretty much know that most of the issues the apostles had, we see them in Scripture. They're revealed when they say stupid things, and like we would say something. They say stupid things to the Lord back, and the Lord's just probably shaking his head, going, okay, guys, come here. I need to talk to you. Stop, stop bickering and who's going to be the greatest, or whatever it may have been. God, um, God still had a specific purpose for each of these great guys in the Bible. Uh, men and women, and he had a specific purpose um, for all these heroes of faith, and particularly for that time period. That time period could have been different than, is different than our time period now. We live in a different age, and so we still have to see that God has use for us, not in the, maybe the same way in parting the Red Sea, but it may be something else. It was said of King David that after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. So David served his purpose. God has plans not just for these notable figures, but for each of us in our own generation. Plans which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, says Ephesians 2.10. So David was anointed king. He was chosen by God, and he was just an unknown teenager at the time. He didn't fulfill his position of being king until 15 years after he was anointed. His first job in the kingdom was as a servant of the king. The king then, we know, was Saul. And he was essentially assigned to be a worship leader of sorts to Saul because he, he would comfort Saul with a harp and play soothing music. You can't, it's, this David had a very big range in, his, in his, um, you know, what God had given him his talents, but he, was, he, would, he would play music for him and, and kind of settle, settle him down. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit specifically to minister to a Holy Spirit-less Saul. And Saul was not only devoid of God's Spirit, because we knew the Spirit had departed from Saul, but he was also distressed, kind of almost really the way we would say demonically oppressed because of his actions. Look at, in 1 Samuel 19.9, you don't have to turn there, but... Um, but as Saul was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, a spirit of distress from the Lord came upon him. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but the spear struck the wall and David eluded him, ran away, and escaped that night. Well, it's a good thing Saul was, a, was not a good, accurate thrower because I, I just, I mean... I'm really glad, let me just say this for now, that none of you have that same spirit of distress in here because truly if I'm leading worship, I don't want to see a spear thrown at me. That would be, I mean, can you imagine like Chris or one of us up here is trying to, you know, Amber's singing and she's like, mm, you know, oh, sorry, let me just keep singing. It's a nice song to you. 
Uh, I just, it, it was, um, David must have been pretty shocked, I'm, I'm sure. One of the, the unlikely people also that God used in the Old Testament was a man named Gideon. And he, Gideon was a man whose fear was greater than his faith. He, when we first meet Gideon, he's hiding from the Midianites, attempting to covertly thresh wheat in a wine press. Uh, it's the process of beating out grain and separating it from the shaft normally would take place on an open hill, uh, in the open on a hilltop with the breeze going across. You throw up the grain and the lighter shaft gets blown away and the heavier wheat gets down below. But in a wine press, it's a little more difficult. You're kind of like in this enclosed area, and I don't know how he would, was blowing on it as he was doing it. I don't know how he did it, but he was hiding because, and we'll find out why he was in the wine press, um, he was fearful that the enemy marauders might spot him, and Gideon took cover in this wine press. And when the Lord came upon him, this faithless coward would accomplish incredible feats of bravery uh, in delivering Israel. And Gideon was so skeptical that such a possibility could come to be that uh, this doubting coward, he demanded from the Lord, I need a sign. I don't know if he demanded, but he basically said, I, I, I need a sign. I just need one sign, I need several signs. So he kept, and we'll find out later on those signs. So let's turn to, bo to the book of Judges, if you would, chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Otherwise, it's up on the screen there. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, by the way, the book of Judges was attributed to the prophet Samuel. Also, interestingly, the Midianites were distant relatives and descendants of Abraham uh, through his wife, Keturah, who he married after Sarah died. Sarah was, in the Bible it says, she was 137 years of age when she died. Do you know that that's the only time a woman's age is mentioned in the Bible, is for Sarah? And Because uh, women don't like their age mentioned, right? It's, it's just, that's just the way, way it is. God knows that. Um, no. I think, I think it was to um, show that how old she was, and it was important because she had, you know, Isaac when she was, you know, later on in years, 99. So I think it was important to show her age in that respect. But uh, it's, um, Abraham was 10 years older than Sarah, and Abraham lived till he was 175 years old. So he had quite a bit more life in him after Sarah died. In fact, Abraham and Keturah had six children. One of them was Midian, and the Midianites, by the way, were also the ones that bought Joseph from his brothers. The Midianites are mentioned throughout the Bible, um, but those are the main places where you see them. So here the Midianites uh, are. Let's start in verse 1 of Judges 6. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Remember that, seven. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also the Malachites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. They took not just their produce, they took all their livestock as well. For they would uh, come up with their, their livestock and their tents, coming as numerous as locusts, but they and their camels were without number, 
So a lot of camels probably there. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. That's a kind of a familiar story with the Israelites, isn't it? They, they get themselves into trouble. They cry out, finally cry out, Lord, we need you. And then the Lord finally shows up. Um, the prophet here, by the way, is left nameless. In Jewish legend, it says that it was Phinehas, the son of Eleazar. There were only two prophets in Judges at the time, Deborah and Phinehas. So it was most likely because it's, it was most likely Phinehas at the time. And um, many times, by the way, it's not until all of us get into this deep, desperate trouble that we call on the Lord to save us. The Israelites were continually through, throughout the Old Testament building their house, as you would say, on sand. They were worshiping false idols. In this case, the enemy would come in like a flood, surround them, and destroy everything they worked so hard to build. But at one point, obviously, they finally cried out and said, Lord, please help me now. I need your help now. This prophet said to them, let's keep reading, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you to the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Hmm. All right, so there's a couple little reprimands in there. You kind of sense the Lord scolding them a little bit, right? I did all this for you, and yet you didn't obey me. You didn't do what I asked you to do. Um, it's so easy for all of us to really get comfortable with our own lives. I know in this country especially, we have the freedom in this country. We often forget the price that, that which that freedom was paid for by those who died for us. And we tend to forget it in moments of peace the most. So like at this time where we're not at war, where we're not suffering, we tend to forget that fight for freedom that those people that gave their life for us. Um, it's also easy for us to forget the price that our Savior, Jesus, paid for our sins. And it's already done for Israel. As they now desperately uh, hear God recounts what already was done for Israel, and they are desperately crying out for help. Let's... Um, so let's keep reading. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Hmm. It, almost, it is laughable, actually. Chris was laughing. This is, this, here you got this farm boy, this young guy, youngest in his family, from the weakest tribe in Israel. And he's hearing the Lord tell him that he is a mighty man of valor. Um, Gideon is hiding in the winepress, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, you very brave man. And he's obviously, uh, guy, it, you know, uh, probably shocked at the Lord calling him a mighty man of valor. He's just probably in his teens even. He's very young. God, but God sees us. This is great. God sees us for, for who he created us to be. It isn't 
the way that we all are looking at each other. We kind of see our, each other's faults. We, we pick on each other's faults. Um, but we really, we're not seeing, we really should see each other how God sees us. We should see each other in our future perfected state. And we don't do that because we're not. But it's not how God sees us. God sees us as how he created us to be. We are mighty men and women of valor. And that's already a given. He, he sees us for that. Um, so let's move on. Uh, in verse 13, it says, Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So here the first word of Gideon's mouth were, O oh Lord, uh, how can some, someone so significant... It's not, it's not what it should be, which is, O oh Lord, how, how, some, how can someone like me do what you are asking me to do? It was the words that he said were more of doubt and doom. Why did, why did you do this to this, Lord? Why, we don't deserve this. Why is our people hiding from the Midianites every year they come and oppress us and take everything? Why? It's, why are you doing this to, to us, Lord? The ones that turn from the Lord, right? Um, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my, calm, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So it seems that God, when God calls us sometimes, as soon as I respond to his call, he lays out what he wants us to do when God speaks to us. And then we resign. We basically say, Lord, I, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. And just like how the Lord called Moses to stand before Pharaoh, he said, Lord, I can't do that. How am I going to stand before this, this, great man of Pharaoh, this great man of Egypt? I don't speak well. When the Lord calls Jeremiah to stand before kings, he said, how can I do that, Lord? I'm young. No one will listen to me. We tend to forget that all these prophets were very young at the time, um, in, te in their teens, some of them. So the Lord said to Gideon, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel. And he says, I can't do that. My family's nothing. I'm the least. You got the wrong guy, Lord. You, what are you, why are you asking me? The Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. All right, so here is the key to any successful service of God, right here. The key is, God saying, I will be with you. The Lord working with us, with us, to recognize that I can't do this myself. I need to depend upon the presence of the Lord in all that I endeavor to do for him. And anything we do for him, you need to make sure that the Lord is with you. That's the main thing, that the Lord is with you. So he said to him, if now I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is... It's you that are talking to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. So again, more doubt. I want to make sure that it's you. Um, even though he, had, he and the Lord had this face-to-face, -face, Gideon still wants a sign. And 
sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we ask the Lord, I, I need a, a sign. I need you to show me. I need to put out a fleece, and if I'm going to go share the, the word, the gospel, share your, with, with friends, with classmates, if I'm going to go into some sort of ministry, um, we, we always say, a lot of, not always, we say a lot of times, Lord, don't you have professionals for that? Isn't there professional pastors and ministers? And, and uh, I mean, we have um, Corey and Jen here who recently, they, they haven't been Christians very long, but man, they're on fire for the Lord. They're out there preaching the gospel out in parks and out on street corners. And uh, where does that strength come from? Well, talk to, talk to Corey. He's, he's pointing up, right? It comes from the Lord. But he, if you asked him three years ago if he'd be doing this, he'd probably say, you're crazy. I don't even want to talk to you about the gospel. But uh, again, so there's a flip side where you want to make sure that it's the Lord that's calling you to do it. So you don't want to hastily go out and just do something. So you kind of got to give Gideon a little bit of grace here because he wants to make sure. So, he, okay, that's fine. So he said, wait here, I'll, I'll be right back, he says. And then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, and he put broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and unleavened bread and lay them on this rock, and then pour the broth on it. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and the fire arose out of the rock, consumed the meat, and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Boom, he was gone. So that's pretty amazing where you douse something in liquid and it gets consumed. That's against all laws of, of, of what we know to be true. This is, it's one of those primo miracle sacrifices, like we see when Elijah doused his sacrifice with, with water, and um, we certainly know that uh, in 1 Kings 18, it does, he says that, and we all know that uh, wet stuff don't burn good. We know that, right? Uh, but with Elijah's sacrifice, the first, in 1 Kings it states, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. That must have been amazing to see that. Just the whole thing. It's like, I guess it would be like a Marvel movie, just, you know, but in real life, okay? Marvel isn't real, by the way. So all those things. Now Gideon perceived, he, they didn't perceive, ding, he perceived. Wait a minute, that was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now throughout the Old Testament, we see the angel of the Lord appearing to various people. Sometimes the angel of the Lord is actually the Lord himself, or what we would call a Christophanes, which is a pre-incarnate of the, the appearance of Jesus. It's, it's the physical appearance of the Son of God, the three unity, the unity of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the physical appearance of Jesus himself. So when you're reading through the Old Testament, how do we know whether, we, when we see angel of the Lord, how do we know whether it's the Lord or it's an angel of the Lord? How do we differentiate the two? Well, the key is, did the one who the angel of the Lord appeared to recognize them as God or deity? And sometimes you have to read the context, and, and context is everything. 
So I believe the appearance uh, to Gideon, he was deity. This was God appearing to, to Gideon. And mainly because, this is why I believe, Gideon offers a sacrifice to an angel. So that doesn't set right. If, God, if Gideon's going to offer a sacrifice, it's going to be to the Lord himself. And I don't believe that any angel would accept a sacrifice and even touch it with their staff and accept it if it weren't the Lord himself. And that's, that's how, uh, in this case, we can kind of see that this, this was the Lord himself. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Peace. Do not fear. That's the opposite, right? Fear and peace. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is Peace, or Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it's still an Oprah of the Abi Eretz. Obviously, the Lord senses that Gideon's afraid for his life. He's going to face this huge battle, and after that, the Lord assures him that he won't be killed. So Gideon sets up this memorial and basically says, Lord, I'm setting up this memorial, so you'll remember that you're not gonna, I'm going to still live, right? You're not, I'm not going to get killed. So I'm setting this up this is just to remind you, Lord, um, it may have been that, it may have been more just a, uh, but I think part of it was he wants the Lord to remember, and that's the whole thing with the memorial, is to remember a, a covenant or um, that you made with somebody. Um, so now it came to pass, in verse 25, that same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old. Now, again, seven years old. I, I said, why seven? Sometimes you guys in Scripture start reading and you look at a number or whatever, and you say, why is, why is it specifically, why isn't mentioning the age of the bull? And I'm saying to myself, well, let me do some research. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it could be that they were under the Midianite impression, oppression for seven years. Remember back in verse, uh, in verse 1, it said they were under oppression with them. Um, or maybe, I was thinking, it could be the number of seven in the Bible is always the number of completion. Monday, the days of the week, God finished his work. And maybe this was the day of a, a, a cycle of completion that Israel wasn't going to suffer anymore. That's it. Seven years, and we're done. And that was very popular back in those days, is numbers of years to represent things. He said, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. Cut it down, the wooden image that's beside it. Another word for cut is hew. I don't, I don't use that word that much. Do you guys? Hew? Um, go hew down that tree. <laughs> but that actually, did you know in Hebrew, the meaning for Gideon or Gideon is hewer or hacker. That's actually what his name means. And here, Gideon is now fulfilling his purposeful meaning of his name. He's hacking or hewing down an altar. So he finally gets to fulfill the purpose of his name. Again, names back then, when you were named something, a certain name, you were, that, there was a, a big significance on that. Today, it's not that much. I mean, our son, uh, Jaden, his name is, do I remember his name? Yeah. We were going <laughs> we to... This is his name, right? Um, he, when we were going to name him, we were thinking Aiden at first, and then we go, ah, oh, there's too many Aidens out there. You ever, you ever hear people that do that? There's too many of that name. Let's do something different. So we actually, I don't know where we heard Jaden. You'll have to ask my wife the story again. But it, it was from the book of Nehemiah. 
and um, we thought, let's go with Jaden. Um, I think the only other Jaden at the time was Will Smith's son, Jaden. Okay, anyway. Um, so, but I didn't even know that at the time. So, uh, Gideon's dad, by the way, um, oh, let me, let me finish with verse 26 here. And build an altar to the Lord, your God, and top, on top of this rock, in the proper arrangement, Take the second bowl and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood and the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among the, his servants and did as the Lord had instructed him to do. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So Gideon's dad here was an idol worshiper. In fact, the, he had an idol in his backyard. So this appears to have been quite an altar because it took 10 men and two oxen to bring it down, and they had to do it in the middle of the night. So I can't imagine how easy that was. Uh, if it's in his backyard and they're trying to bring down this huge altar with 10 men. Uh, and so it was done stealthily, but when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of all torn down, wooden image was beside it and was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when, did, uh, when they had inquired, they asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. And Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. And if he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. So here the men of Israel are going to kill Gideon because he threw down this pagan, their pagan god. By the way, they worshipped not just Baal, they worshipped many gods back then. Um, and Joash... Gideon's dad comes out, and he, you know, his, his dad comes out and pleads for his life. He says, if Baal is God, let him defend himself. And there's a great argument he makes here because he's saying if Baal is the supreme God, all-powerful God, then let Baal defend himself and take retribution himself. And it's very similar, actually I like this because it's very similar to a New Testament argument that Rabbi Gamaliel made in Acts, he was observing. Uh, we don't know if Rabbi Gamaliel was a Christian or not, but he certainly had a lot of wisdom. And in regards to the evangelism that was going on in Israel, in the, in the book of Acts, it says in Acts 5.38, and now I say to you, this is Rabbi Gamaliel saying to the men that want to kill um, the apostles, now I say to you, Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan is the work of, um, or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it unless you be found to fight against God. In other words, God can defend himself. You don't have to defend God. God will defend himself. Therefore, on that day, he called him Yerubbaal saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. That was Gideon's name from then on. They called him Yeru Baal. Let Baal plead against him. 
Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. You guys know where Je the valley of Jezreel, what that is? That's the valley of Armageddon. It's where the final battle is going to take place. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Ah, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. This is an amazing scripture here because it's actually, if you translate the way it is in the Hebrew, it's translated, the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. It's almost, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, it's a, it, the Holy Spirit is, a, is, we're the glove, and the Holy Spirit comes down and puts his hand in us and fills us completely to use us for whatever he chooses. And we pray, Lord, pray, Holy Spirit, direct my steps. Direct, guide me. And so that's, it's the Holy Spirit. We're clothed. We're, we're the glove, and he's guiding us and leading us. Great picture here. Great prayer. He blew the trumpet, and the Abi Eritz gathered behind him, and they sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they all came up to meet him. So these are all the neighboring tribes of Israel. He's inviting them to come in the battle. Now we get to the fleece in verse 36. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, you have said, Look, I shall put out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece, the morning dew that comes, and it's dry on all, on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And, if it, and it was so. When he rose in the early in the morning and squeezed the fleece together, wrung the dew out of the fleece, the bowl full of water, and then Gideon said to the God, don't be angry with me, but please let me speak once more. Just, just another just quick, quick, question, quick question, Lord. Um, so Gideon's like, well, maybe that's what naturally happens to fleece when you put it out. It just gathers more water than everything else. So he's kind of probably rationalizing in his mind here. And like Lot, remember Lot had this, this argument and discussion with the Lord? Like Lot, uh, the negotiations continue. I should say the Jewish negotiations. I'm Jewish, so I know about um, Jewish negotiations. But I can relate, because you know where you have two Jews, you have three arguments, right? That's just the way it is. So he says, let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let me now, let me now be dry it be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. So he does, just do the opposite, Lord, and I'll, I'll believe. Just do the opposite. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So that's, that's kind of where I want to end with the passage, but I, I don't want to leave you on a cliffhanger. I think most of you know the story of, of Gideon and what happened, but I'm, because I don't want to leave you hanging, I'm going to just kind of finish up the story here. Um, most of you know that God had Gideon form an army of 32,000 men. God said, that's too many, size it down. He got it down to 10,000, uh, and again it was too many, and he whittled that number down to 300 men. And they went by night and surrounded the Midian camp, and the Midianites numbered 135,000. 300 against 135,000. 
Uh, and here's what finally happened. Judges 7, 20 to 22. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and they broke the pitchers. They held torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried out, the sword of the Lord and the sword of, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. Basically, the Lord sent uh, panic and delusion among, at night among the Midianites and the Malachites. They all killed each other, pretty much. And the, those that fled, Israel went after and got them. So that wraps up that. So now you're good on that. You don't have to wait till part two later. Uh, getting back to the final message, use me, Lord. I think because most of us are not doing full-time ministry, we're not, we don't do it for income or as a living, I think we tend to uh, think that our calling or rank in ministry maybe is not important as a pastor or, or someone that's in the church full-time. But let me tell you, nothing is further from the truth, all right? There are countless people in the Bible that were not born leaders, that didn't have maybe inherent talent, that carry out God's sovereign plan. Because God's not asking you for your talents necessarily. He's asking for more than that. He's asking for your heart, your obedience, your willingness to serve him. Um, we aren't all, um, I mean, all of us are anointed Spirit-filled, if we're, if we're Christians, born-again Christians, we're all spirit-filled believers. And doesn't each one of us possess the ability, if we are spirit-filled, to minister on God's behalf? That qualifies us. We are all, as Scripture says, a royal priesthood. We're all royalty. Um, hopefully better than Harry and... Anyway. Um, but uh, we're all, you know, the little things... It's the little things that God looks at that you do. It's not necessarily the big things. If we're faithful in the little things, he will put us in charge of much. So God wants us to be faithful with the small things. And I tend to think that God cares about using me and you for uh, his purposes more where you're, where you're currently planted, where you are now. And it doesn't have to be uh, an epic plan of biblical proportions, parting the Red Sea or anything like that. In other words, you hear the expression, bloom where you're planted. Don't be complaining about where you are right now. God can use you exactly where you are now and just bloom while you're, where you're planted, where you are planted right now. Be more concerned about fulfilling God's use for you in your current station rather than thinking, why isn't the Lord using me to do grander things? Really, all the Lord wants from us, again, as I say, is a willing, obedient, and available heart. He's more concerned that we're faithful with the little things, as I said. Um, use what he's given you now, along with the resources and capacity, to use them, and that's all he's asking of you. We all have specific purpose and role in the body of Christ. Each one of us has our importance here, no matter how insignificant it may appear from our point of view. God places a high value on all of us. As we read in Romans 12, 4 to 6, for we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, 
and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let's keep going. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it not therefore of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. It is therefore not of the body. If the, whole bo- if, the body, if the whole body were an eye, then where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them, in his body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, rather much, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, and there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And one last scripture on that one, Ephesians 4, 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, of course, these are illustrations of the body, of being used in the body of Christ. Some of us are visible parts of the body. Some of us may be eyes. Uh, Some of us may be big toes. Some of us, maybe one of us is a spleen. But... uh, Sorry, I mean, I think a spleen is very important. Stop that. A spleen is, a spleen is good to have. We have to have a spleen, right? But if we're all needed, uh, we're all needed in the body to function healthily. If, uh, if you're the eye of the body and decide to keep your eye closed, we all can't see, or we're at least seeing, only seeing out of one eye. Um, know that you're important in this body. So put to use the gifts and talents that God's bestowed you. Uh, We all all need to function in good health for the kingdom of God. We all have to be functioning healthily. Every one of you is just as important as Pastor Blake, as the worship leaders, as anybody in this church. You're all equally important. And our great concern and frequent prayer should be for God to fulfill his plans for our life. What a tragedy it would be to discover that at the judgment seat of Christ, we had not fulfilled God's purposes in our lives, but our own. So don't be afraid to ask the Lord every day when you wake up that he be with you and use you for his kingdom's work. That should be a prayer every day. Because uh, God eagerly desires that we pray and we mean it from our hearts. Our rewards are not here on earth. They say that you can't hook up a U-Haul to your hearse. You've never seen a U-Haul on a hearse before. Can't take it with you. Um, can't take anything to heaven, right? So the kingdom of God is about serving our king and doing his will. Amen? Let's pray. Worship team, come up, please. And we'll close in prayer here. 
We thank you, Lord, for this message, a difficult message for me even, to see the call on our life, on my life. Lord, you know our hearts. You know that we love you, that we want to honor you, we want to serve you. We want you to be working through us, and we want you to be with us. As you were with Gideon, you said, I will be with you. That's a promise you've made to us. Holy Spirit, you indwell us right now. And that's the promise you've made to us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit in our lives. Not a distressing spirit, but a Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, to give us the words to say when we don't know what to say. We do not fear man, Lord. We have the fear of you. It's a healthy fear, Lord. We give you our lives this morning and ask that you would make us and mold us into the image of your Son and lead us and guide us into all truth. Lead us and guide us into the chosen path you would have for us. You say that, Lord, that we plan our way. Lord, you direct our steps. We want to be that glove. We want to be clothed in the Lord, that you clothe us, and that your hand, your Holy Spirit, would come fill us, indwell us, and use us. Jesus, we commit our hearts to you this morning. We ask you to use us. Use me, Lord. Use us. We are willing. We ask these things in your holy name, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.